Okay, Alex, I'd like to start us off with some sound. Go Cubs go! Okay, Jesse, I hear it. So, go, do you Cubs. do you rec? All right, you can pause it. Pause it. Do you recognize this sound? Yes, that is the song they sing at Cubs games, and I believe you have to win, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But it's sung at the Cubs games. Yep, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's Go Cubs Go, and they play it over the public address system at Wrigley Field if the Cubs win a home game. So it's this Chicago tradition. But there's actually a little bit of a dilemma, uh, and the future of this song may be a little bit uncertain. Okay, but before we get to that, I think we should introduce ourselves. I'm Alexandra Solomon. I'm the editor here at Curious City. I'm Jesse Dukes, Curious City audio producer emeritus, if I can say that. Yeah, I don't like that part, but okay. What is this dilemma? Well, it was actually spotted by our question asker. Um, it came from Nick Bruner, and he noticed something in the third verse of the song, uh, which many people don't even know, but it goes... Alex, did you catch the problem? Yeah, I know this because I know that WGN doesn't broadcast the baseball games anymore. Yeah, you got it. Exactly. The problematic line is you can catch it all on WGN, which is not true anymore. And in fact, the Cubs haven't been on WGN radio for a few years now. But WGN TV has been their broadcast home for decades, and that is no longer true as of this year because the Cubs are launching their own network, Marquee Sports Network. And, you know, the Cubs probably don't want to promote a rival broadcaster in their own stadium. So Nick, our question asker, wanted to know what are the Cubs going to do about that? Uh, get a super fan to write a new lyric? So you could get a super fan maybe to write another song or rewrite the song, but you could not get the original songwriter to rewrite it. Um, in fact, if they were to get someone else to you know, rewrite that verse or something like that, that could be considered pretty disrespectful or maybe even sacrilegious with regard to the original songwriter, who is uh, Steve Goodman. So here's his story. Steve Goodman was born in 1948, grew up on the north side of Chicago, and his biographer, Clay Eels, says he was a Cubs fan from the beginning. His dad would take him to Wrigley. He would skip school to go see the Cubs. And you got to understand, this was a time when the Cubs were not drawing very many people. They never won. <laughs> this was peak lovable losers, Cubs. And in fact, I just looked this up. Uh -huh. He was born in 1948. The Cubs did not have a winning season until 1963. Wow. So until he was 15 years old, he never saw them have a winning season. Yeah. Steve started getting into music when he was pretty young. He sang in the choir at his temple. He was a boy soprano. Um, he played guitar in a kind of high school folk band. You never, in high school, never saw him without a guitar. Went off to college. But didn't last there very long uh, because he didn't like to go to class. He would rather play his guitar. And right around this time, he's 20 years old. He is not feeling very well. He goes to the hospital, and he is diagnosed at age 20 with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. 
Oh, gosh. Am I going to like this story, Jesse? I hope. It has its ups and downs. Um, Yeah. That is a very scary diagnosis. The prognosis for people who got diagnosed back then was maybe six months. You know, there wasn't really an effective treatment. Yeah, and he's so young. Yeah, yeah, he's he's 20. Um, And really, like, friends and family thought he was probably going to die. But... They were just starting to develop these new cancer treatments, and he signed up for an experimental treatment. And after several months of that, the cancer actually goes into a remission in the summer of 1969. And that's really when he decides he's done with college, and he's just going to focus on being a full-time folk musician. You know, we all get these little signals in our life it's sort of like being at a light and the light either turns red or it turns green Mm -hmm. you know just have to wait for the light sometimes pretty quickly he could make a living just playing songs singing songs in a handful of bars around chicago Hmm. there were all these clubs um and they were really just kind of like bars like places where you know maybe you could get 50 60 70 chairs you know, there was the Earl of Old Town, which be, kind of became his home. Our own Steve Goodman. Some performers would just get up and sing their songs. Steve uh, would do that. He was a virtuoso guitar player. But he also was a storyteller. I wrote this song after I walked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon in 1975. Just got back. He talked about the Cubs a lot and how terribly they were doing. That was kind of a theme. The Cubs, now they haven't won during my lifetime, and I'm not that young. He just charmed everybody. Good night. Thank you very much. Okay, so, you know, by the early 1980s, Steve is making his living as a folk singer as a musician and he's pretty successful you know he has a record deal certainly has the respect of his peers and he's lived you know 10 years longer than the original doctors would have predicted you know he's in his early 30s but he still has two goals there's still things that are eluding him and one is that he's never had a hit song on the charts where he's the performer and the singer other people have recorded songs he wrote and had hits, um, you know, maybe most notably on the city Arlo Guthrie, the son of Woody Guthrie, had a number four easy listening hit with the city of New Orleans. The country singer David Allen Coe had a country hit with You Never Even Called Me By My Name. It kind of makes fun of country, but it made it onto the country music charts. Well, a friend of mine named Steve Goodman wrote that song, and he told me it was the perfect country and western song. But he was never the singer on those hits up to that point, and, you know, it's clear that he may have been a little frustrated about that. Sure. I mean, I get that. Um, so what? why didn't he have a hit? Well, there are a lot of possible reasons, but his biographer, Clay Eels, has a theory. And this is kind of a famous story. Back in the 1970s, he was discovered by the country singer Chris Christofferson. Goodman was being handed the brass ring. You know, would you like to come to New York to start a, a, a recording contract? Most anybody in that circumstance would say, gee, yes, thank you, thank you. But the first thing out of Goodman's mouth was, well, if you think I'm good, you got to hear my friend John Prine. 
he had this instinct towards generosity, and I'm not sure that always worked in his favor. That kind of generosity is more of a great life lesson, but it doesn't necessarily translate into becoming uh, the household word, you know. Yeah, he was too nice a guy. Yeah, yeah, maybe he was just too nice to have a hit. Um, so that was goal number one. And moving on to goal number two, remember, Steve loved baseball. I've been trying to write a song about baseball for four years, and I get about three quarters of the way through it, and then I walk somebody and take myself out. You know, I never get to finish the damn thing. It's a baseball metaphor. You know, it basically means failure. <laughs> it's true. I I get about three quarters of the way through it, and then and then I'm struggling. You know, it's a hot afternoon, and I'm looking to the bench, and the manager comes out and yanks me. So he's been trying to write a baseball song for years, and finally, in 1981, he wakes up in the middle of the night with this vision, this dream, and from that comes a song called A Dying Cub Fan's Last Request. By the shores of old Lake Michigan. What you're seeing is a video of Steve playing the song live. An old Cub fan lay dying. He's up on a rooftop with his guitar. He's got a bright blue Cubs hat on. And you can see Wrigley Field in the background. You can even see the infield grass, nice and green. They knew his time was short. It's about this lifelong Cubs fan who is dying. He said, you know, I'll never see Wrigley Field anymore before my eternal rest. And he's telling his friends and family how he wants to go. He said, give me a doubleheader funeral in Wrigley Field on some sunny weekend day. And the song also really makes fun of the Cubs for losing all the time. But what do you expect when you raise up a young boy's hopes and then just crush them like so many paper beer cups? Year after year after year. After year after year after year after year after year. Until those hopes are just so much popcorn for the pigeons beneath the L tracks to eat. He said, you know, I'll never see Wrigley Field Whew. anymore. That's intense, actually. Um, What's intense about it? Now that I know about his diagnosis, it feels like it's autobiographical. And that he's talking about his death. Yeah, it does. It sounds that way. But, you know, when he wrote the song, he was in remission. Uh, he had been more or less cancer-free for 12 years. But between the time he wrote the song and this video was shot, the cancer had returned. And I think you can actually see it in the video. You know, even though he's smiling and he looks happy, it, it looks like he's lost some weight, you know. And he probably knows at this point that the leukemia is back and it's, it's pretty serious. So that was Steve's first baseball song, and pretty quickly it becomes a crowd pleaser at his shows and kind of a local favorite in Chicago, and in fact, the local TV station wants to film him performing it at Wrigley Field. 
but the Cubs wouldn't allow it. Uh, they said no. And the reason was the song pokes fun at their propensity to lose. And they, they didn't like that. And they, this was a time when they were trying to rebuild a team and they were focusing on winning. And they just didn't want that lovable loser's crap in their stadium. So this is where Dan Fabian okay. comes into the story. Talking into the receiver. Dan Fabian was a radio producer at WGN. Yeah, radio. And one time while he was at work, he saw Steve Goodman on the radio, you know, like doing an interview or performance. And man, the light bulb went on. Fabian had been looking for some bumper music for the WGN Cubs broadcasts, like stuff to play in between the innings. And so he saw Steve Goodman there, and he had this idea. What if Steve Goodman writes a song? So anyhow, I, I literally ran to the studio, scribbled a little note, went in and slipped it to him during a commercial. Hey, do you want to write another Cubs song? I like dying Cubs fans' last request. Would you like to write a happy Cubs song? That was on a Tuesday. He came back Thursday with a guitar and <laughs> with the bones of the song. And the following Monday night, Tuesday morning, we had a party at <laughs> a little studio just south of Wrigley. Goodman just, like, rounds up a bunch of his folk singing friends. <laughs> uh, I think a couple of the Cubs were actually part of it, too. Uh, and they just knocked the, they knocked the song out. And what, what was your involvement with the recording? Were you, were you producing? Uh, I'll have you know I'm the high squeaky voice in the background. Oh, you sang. <laughs> I told you it was a party. <laughs> Anyhow, we recorded it, and uh, three weeks later, it was on the air. And the Cubs liked it. And this year, the Cubs, this is 1984, they're actually doing really, really well that year. And they say, you know what, if we make it to the playoffs, Steve Goodman can come and sing the Star Spangled Banner. He's not going to sing the Dying Cubs fan song, but we'll let Steve Goodman come and sing, you know, to kick off the game. Because uh, we, lo- we love this song. And the Cubs actually do make it to the playoffs for the first time since 1945. But Steve Goodman dies of leukemia four days before that. Okay, this is the part of the story I don't like. But... That's actually not the end of the story. So you remember I told you he wanted to write a great baseball song, and, you know, arguably he wrote two. Do you remember his other big goal? He wanted to have a song that he wrote himself, that he performed, that would be a hit. Exactly, exactly. So that song, Go Cubs Go, was used by WGN for a few years, but then it kind of got forgotten. Mm. You know, you were talking about the Cubs playing it at the end of every game. That's a relatively recent tradition. That started in 2007, which was also a big year for the Cubs. Somebody at the Cubs organization said, hey, remember that old song from the 80s, Steve Goodman, all that? Why don't we dust that off and play it after a home game win, and we'll see if people sing along. And they did. They sang along. It caught on. It became this big tradition at Wrigley Field. It also caught on in the bars. You know, they would people would sing along. And then in 2016... Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs win the World Series! Bryant makes the play! Go Cubs Go got a lot of attention. Bill Murray and a couple of the Cubs sang the song on Saturday Night Live. 
the cast of Hamilton in Chicago sang it, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were singing it in Grant Park at the Victory Parade. There was something like two million streams on Spotify, and it went up on the Billboard charts. Wow, and that's like, what, 30 years later, he finally gets a hit that he sang. Yeah, he did. Uh, He finally got that hit. Um, And, you know, Steve Goodman fans would say it's kind of ironic because Go Cubs Go is not what they would consider to be one of his best songs. But Clay Eels and others say Goodman would have appreciated the situation, you know, namely his favorite team that he had rooted for his entire life, finally winning the World Series. Like the fact that that's what drove Go Cubs Go to the charts. Steve would have loved that. And yeah, it's sad that he didn't live to see it. But if you think about it, it's also kind of the perfect story for this song. Because, you know, for most of Steve's life, the notion that the Cubs are going to win, baseball season's here again, you know, it's time to start a whole new day. All of these lines are about optimism in spite of all the available evidence. And I think that resonates deeply with Chicago Cubs fans. Mm. Um, And I think that... Sorry, I'm getting emotional. I think it's also, even though it's a pretty simple song, it is also kind of the essence of Steve Goodman, too. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, in that clip I played for you and you see all those people singing the song, you know, full-throatedly, and they've got signs that say, this is for Grandpa. I think Steve tapped into that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think there is that... um dream that somehow they'll succeed someday and people not giving up on that dream i i do think it's real and i think it's um kind of like the spirit of the city a little bit you know where chicago we're not new york but we're gonna matter too I, i do i think it's a part of the spirit of the city itself that's captured in that idea yeah So maybe, you know, you could see why it might be a little bit difficult for the Cubs to think about rewriting or reperforming the song. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see why now it's not such a simple thing. Yeah. It's it's like it's like ripping pages out of a sacred text. Metaphorically, we're talking baseball, not religion here. But for some people, there's not much of a distinction. (laughs) Okay. So what are the Cubs doing? Uh, Well, they have said they're going to continue the tradition to play Go Cubs Go after home victories. And they've been doing that at exhibition games. But according to Clay Eels, Steve Goodman's biographer, it doesn't actually matter what the Cubs do. The song is going to survive any ownership change, any radio change. Because the fans will be singing the song no matter what. I mean, Go Cubs Go, I think, is forever. Reporter this week was Jesse Dukes. Stephen Jackson produced this episode with help from Linnea Dominic. Thanks to Kevin Dawson, Cheryl Ray Stout, Jason Mark, and Nick Bruner for asking the question. And thanks to all of the people who spoke to Jesse about Steve Goodman, including Harry Waller, Dan Fabian, Robert Ellisberg, and our amazing former colleague Mary Gaffney. We got archival audio from Dave Cohen and an extra special thanks to Clay Eels, who shared so much of his knowledge and audio of Goodman. 
If you enjoyed learning a little about Steve Goodman today, there's 700 pages more on him in Clay's book, Steve Goodman, Facing the Music. Oh, and one more thing. Curious City has been answering your who, what, when, where, how, and why questions for years, and now we have questions for you. We want to reach more Chicagoans and make the show the best it can be. We're doing a survey, and we'd love your input. Tell us what you think at wbez.org slash curious survey. After you fill it out, you can enter for a chance to win a $50 gift card. Once more, that's wbez.org slash curious survey. Support for Curiosity comes from the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Alexandra Solomon. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.